Are we good? Yeah. Loving being in God's presence. Hanging out with him. I, um, I've got about three things that in my head are totally unrelated um, that I want to share with you. <laughs> but that's how God works. It's, like a, it's almost like he wants to drop just a couple of nuggets and, and, and take it with you. You know what I mean? Yeah? So um, just close your eyes for a minute. I just want us to step back into God's presence. I know sometimes we can go through communion and then we sort of hit the offering and we start thinking about money and that leads to thinking about other things and leads to thinking about this and that and, and we actually step out of God's presence in that time which is quite a bit ironic because that's when we should be stepping more into him as we give. So I just want you to close your eyes. You know, it says in Ephesians that uh, Jesus is seated in heavenly places. And then as you read into chapter 2, it says that we're seated with him in heavenly places. And it says we are, not we will be, not we're going to be. It doesn't even say we were, it says we are. And we've talked often here about how we've made death a doorway into heaven, whereas in reality, we can step into heaven now. You can walk with Jesus now. It says you are in him and he is in you. It says that we abide in him and his word abides in us. And then it says further on that we abide in him and he abides in us. And if he's seated in heavenly places, then we're seated in heavenly places. So we need to stop walking by what we can see, what we can feel, what we can touch and start walking by our spirit. And let that be the lead. So just take that time now to step back into heavenly places. For those of you who are thinking I'm not good enough and so on, the verse that God gave me, the first thing I want to share with you is Romans chapter 5, verse 20. It says, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And the Lord spoke, he's been speaking into this year and, and the prophets of the Lord have been declaring and declaring and declaring that this is a year of goodness, this is a year of breakthrough, this is a year of overcoming the things where you've struggled and pushed and, and, and tried to work through, that this is your year of stepping through. And what has happened in, in this first month of the year is that the enemy has risen up and has tried to steal. And I don't know about you, but if your week or your last couple of weeks have been, been difficult and challenging, and you've been pushing and going, what's going on? I thought it was supposed to be a year of breakthrough. I'm struggling. That is the enemy rising up trying to steal the word of the Lord before you can step into what he has. Because your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And I really sense while I was praying that, that many of you this last week or so have really struggled with sin rising up in your life and things you thought you were overcoming, they've been rising up and you're struggling. And the Lord says to you, where sin abounds, His grace abounds even more. So step into His grace. You can't get rid of your sin by yourself. You get rid of your sin by handing it over to Jesus. And he says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That the temptation that has come against you is the work of the enemy trying to steal the blessing God has for you this year, the breakthrough he has in your life. So repent and step into his grace. We're told to boldly approach the throne of grace. 
because Jesus has made a way. So step into that grace. Stand before the throne. Step into the heavenlies. Walk with Jesus. Because where you've had sin in your life, his grace abounds even more. doesn't matter what you've done, his grace is greater. His love is greater. Walk in grace. Don't look at your sin, look at what he has for you. Look at him. The second thing I want to share with you, just while you sit there, keep your eyes closed. Just stay walking that heavenlies. It's cool. If you fall asleep, I don't mind. Resting in Jesus is a good thing, yeah? But I was actually um, reading a prophetic word. There's a guy called Kim Clements who died fairly recently. And um, the gift of prophecy was recognized on this guy as, as quite phenomenal. Ten years ago, to give you an example, I'll give you two examples. Um, ten years ago, he, the prophetic word he gave was a Trump will trumpet in America and lead the nation. Ten years ago. Two years, in 2013, two years before Donald Trump even said he was going to nominate for the presidency, his word was, a Donald will hold the American flag and lead us against oppression. And he spoke about 9-11. It's two years before Donald Trump even said he was going to run. So we're not talking about a guy who gives light words. And of course at those times everyone went, what do you mean, what are you talking about? But those are the words he gave. But there's a third word he gave which applies to us today, and he gave not long before he died. And he said that debt as in financial debt, has become a stench to the Lord. And that the Lord has declared a death to debt. That in this time, he has declared a death to debt. So now that you've sorted out that you're walking by grace and not by works, and that your works you do are simply in grace, that the sin is covered in grace and you're good, you're in right with God, walking with the heavenlies, I want you to, to stay strong in God regarding your finances. That the Lord has declared a debt to death. You know, I love what Deuteronomy 15 says in the message translation. Because Deuteronomy 15 talks about the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee, every seven years, we're talking about the seven-year Jubilee and in Deuteronomy, it's talking about in every seven years that all debts are cancelled. And see, Jesus, when he came, in Luke chapter 4, he quotes Isaiah and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. And he goes through a few things. But he ends that in, in verse 19. And he declares that Jubilee is complete in him, that he is the Jubilee. They didn't have to wait every 50 years or every seven years that he was the Jubilee and that for us as Christians, we can walk in Jubilee every day. So in other words, debt is cancelled every day. But what the message translation says about Deuteronomy 15, I love this, the wording is, 
all debt is cancelled, God says so. That's really cool, isn't it? Because we sometimes spiritualize these and go, oh, well, it's this and that. But let that, if you were put in today's translation, that is what he would say. All debt's cancelled, I'm God and I'm saying so. So I want to say to you, for those of you who are, who are struggling with debt and you're sitting there right now going, but how? How is God going to do it? How can it happen? You know, Do I need to? No, no, no. You need to seek first the kingdom of God and his way of living. So you need to go, God, what do you have for me to do? What do you have for me to say? As I go out today, every morning, just go before God and say, God, I'm seeking you first. What do you have for me? Because Satan's strategy right now is to bring chaos into your life. His strategy right now is to bring busy into your life. His strategy right now is to bring disruption into your household. He'll bring it into your workplace. And so all you can see before you are your financial issues, are your family issues, are your work issues, and everything around you, and it seems like the pressure is great. But let me tell you, the pressure is nothing. It's all a facade. It's all a facade. It's the tactic of the enemy. The enemy, you need to know how the enemy works. The enemy works by dividing. That's his first strategy is to divide. If he can divide you with your spouse, if he can divide you with your family, if he can divide you in your workplace, then you can't walk in the blessing. Because it's where there is unity, God commands his blessing. And you become ineffective in every area of your life if you're walking in division. And that's his first strategy. And you need to see that strategy and speak unity over your family. Speak unity over your household. Take authority. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You need to take authority. You are seated in heavenly places with Jesus so that you can take authority. You have authority. Jesus has the authority here on earth and he's given it to you. He said, all authority is mine, and you're seated at his right hand. And he governs from on high, because he who has the high ground has the victory. It's military strategy. That's why when they did dogfights, the planes would go high, because it gave them an advantage over the other. Why military? They'd try and take a hill. Because you can see further and you have an advantage over others. You are seated in heavenly places. You have the high ground. And we need to start walking in that high ground and stop looking at the distractions the enemy has for you. Stop looking at your mortgage. Stop looking at your credit card statement. Stop looking at your debt. Stop looking at your issues. Stop focusing on those and start looking at what God is doing good. Start looking at what his word says about every situation. Take the high ground. Don't be distracted by the words that are speaking, by the yelling and the screaming that is in front of you. And I'm preaching to myself right now because there's distractions in my life too. And it's easy to get your eyes off Jesus and to look at what is happening around you. And he says to you, don't get distracted. There's nothing to it. It's empty. 
It's empty noise. It's like someone running around your backyard banging a tin can. They can't actually do anything, but they can make a whole lot of noise. You have the authority. Whatever your issue is, go to what God's word says and focus in on that. And focus in on that. And give God the glory that it's done. That it's done. Yeah? Are we good? All right, let's move on to the third thing God wants to say to you. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 12. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. We preached that a couple of weeks ago. We talked about, you want to know God's will? Put yourself on the altar. Die to yourself and say, God, whatever you will, because he will tell you his will. He will tell you his purpose, because then you can add your faith to it. If you, can't, if you don't know his will, you become double-minded because you're going, should I go this way? Should I go that way? Which is it? Where do I put my faith to? And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you don't know what you're believing for, if you don't know what his will is, then you step out of faith. His will is in his word. And if you're going, but that doesn't answer my question, then push into him. Because you abide in him and he abides in you, you know the secrets of heaven. Paul tells us he'll reveal mysteries to us. If you're really unsure, then pray in tongues over whatever the situation is and ask God to give you an interpretation of what you're speaking. The Holy Spirit bubble up within you and bring that revelation. Because it says you will know his good, acceptable, and perfect will. It's right there. So if you're going, I don't know what to do, now you do. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone among you. Is everyone among us? Anybody not among us? No, we're all here. Good. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But I think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Let me deal with that for a minute. Sometimes we come in and go, oh, I'm just humble. I'm just me. I don't think highly. And then, you know, things go wrong in our life. And we start operating according to what the world says rather than what God says. You know, we step into sin and we go, oh, I'm such a terrible sinner. How can God use me? Oh, I've just got to humble myself. I'm a horrible sinner. You know what? God does not call you a sinner. He says you died to sin and become alive in Christ. It's in Romans. It says you are dead to sin. So just don't think of yourself as a sinner. That's not humility. That's actually putting yourself above God because you're saying that your word is above his word. Does that make sense? He actually says in 1 Peter that you're a royal priest. You're royalty. You're a priest of God. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't think that you know better than God. That's when you think more highly than you ought. 
we've used this verse as a church to, to beat people and keep them down and, oh, you know, don't rise up and be anything. And we've missed out on what God wants to do. When you start doing your will, not God's will, that's when you are more highly than you ought. Verse 4, for we have many members in one body, but all the members don't have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, individual members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them in prophecy. Let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use that in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. As I was reading that, the Lord spoke to me and he said, it's time for the church to rise up and start being the church. Because the church, as we know, is not a building. If it was, we're in trouble. But the church is us, the members. We're one body. I mean, we know when one of us is hurting, we're all hurting, aren't we? When one of us goes through a difficult time, we're all in there going, hey, let's help you through. Let's see what we can do. And we're getting good at that. But now it needs to go the other way. And we need to start stepping up as a church into who we're meant to be and into the gifts and abilities that God is pouring out upon us. See, because if we don't step into what God has for us, individually and as a church, we're going to miss what God's doing. And we're going to settle. And we're going to be hanging here, having a good old time together, and everything will be the same. I don't know about you, but I'm not good on same. Much to the frustration of my family occasionally. I mean, there are times where I just like things a little predictable and a little sorted. There's always those times. But most times I like something different. You know, last night went to the soccer, watched the Perth Glory played, you know, Ben and Ivan and Rebecca and Isaac and a couple of friends of mine. And, and I wish she wasn't really keen on going because the last couple of soccer games I've been to were a bit ordinary, you know, and it's, it was a bit like the same. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, yeah, because soccer can be one of those games where not much happens. The ball goes from one end to the other and nobody scores and it's all like, oh yeah. But last night's game wasn't. Last night's game was a really good game. And where we were seated, we were sort of right next to where the goals were scored and, and it was energetic and there was stuff happening and they were, it was just an exciting game to be at. And it was probably the best game I've actually seen Perth Glory play in probably about three or four months. And I'm going, what's different about this? And what was different was that everybody was doing their part, which they haven't been in the last probably, you know, five or six weeks. They've been carried by two or three players. But yesterday... Last night, everybody was doing their bit. Everybody knew where they fit in the whole thing and were doing their bit. Sure, they made mistakes. It wasn't all perfect. But everybody was doing their bit. And as they did, you could see the confidence they had to be able to run for each other, 
to be able to, to go forward with each other, to be able to support each other, and out of that, they got the result. But when they stopped doing that and they sort of sat back a bit and going, we've got this, the other team came back. And that's how we are. We've all got a place. We've all got things to do. We've all got something to give. But too often I think we can come in here and go, cool, I've got my coffee. We have a nice bit of worship. You know, hear a bit of teaching. And I go home and we've just absorbed it all and we've not come to give. And I'm not talking about your money. Well, that may be your thing. I'm talking about the gifts that God has put inside you. Now, if you're sitting there going, I don't have any gifts, stop thinking more highly than you ought. Because if you don't have gifts, then God's a liar. Because we just read that to each one, he's given gifts. Yeah? So we need to use our gifts. Yeah? There is a reason why I don't lead the worship. Because I don't have that gift. You don't want me singing. I've done it before because that's part of the journey of my life. But I wouldn't say it was my best gift. I did piano lessons for several years. I did guitar lessons for several years. And I still can't do it. It's not my gift. But today, you know, we saw what was the girls and men, wasn't it, today? You know, stepping up and using their gifts and the presence of God filling this place. Did you feel that? Did you feel the glory of God just sweeping through here today? Because they're using their gifts and that then blesses all of us. But you know what? You have gifts in you. You have abilities in you. And I think too often we come in here and we just sort of don't expect God to use us. We don't expect God to speak through us. We don't expect God to use us to bless somebody else. Because we start to think of ourselves more highly than we ought and go, why would God use me? Because we know our failings. We know our weaknesses. But God doesn't see your failings. We have to get used to this thinking. God does not see your failings. Because he says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And says, as far as the east is from the west, he's removed your sin from you. So when he looks at you and he looks at those times through history where you've made a mistake, where you've messed up, where you've sinned, all he sees is Jesus. Because that's what the blood of Jesus did. Washed it all away. And so when you come to him and go, oh, but God, I've got this in my life, he goes, really? I can't see it. See, we believe the lie of the devil that we're not good enough, that we have to do things to be good enough. You can't do anything to be good enough. All you can do is love God. Jesus said it. He said, look, You want to be pleasing to me, love me, love those around you. That's the only thing he asks of you. Do you know that? 
Now, theologians may go, oh, well, hold on, there's a whole list of things that, you know. No. Jesus said everything is summed up in two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on this, all the law and all the prophets hangs. Because if you do those two things, and that's your heart attitude, you'll fulfill everything else. Does that make sense? And a part of that, loving each other and loving God, is coming into this place and going, I've got something to give. God, show me what it is. It may be as simple as we're sitting there having a coffee after the service and he just gets you to encourage somebody. That was on that list. I didn't realize I had that gift until I think I was about 16 and I was at youth group. And um, the youth leader decided that we'd all go around and say something nice about everybody in the group. You know, the whole warm fuzzy thing. So I went, okay. And when it came to me, just about every person says, oh, you're really encouraging. I thought, really? I didn't think of myself as encouraging. I thought I was a bit negative, actually. I thought I was just, you know, me. But it got me thinking, oh. Because they were were sort of saying, you know, who are you most like in the Bible? And I was told I was like Barnabas, who was an encouragement. Because what Barnabas did, he he went and got Paul. When nobody else wanted to know Paul, because he he was Saul and, you know, the guy that killed all the Christians, he was the guy that went and got him and said, he's okay. And look what Paul went on to become. And then you got the guy called John Mark, who... Paul and Barnabas took with them on their journeys and he got a bit freaked out partway through their journey and just said, look, I'm out of here. I'm going back home. You know, when's the next flight sort of thing. And so the next time they're going on a journey, Barnabas says to Paul, hey, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul said, not on your life. You let me down last time. And they actually had a fight over it. Paul and Barnabas, and that's when they split up. And Paul took, I think it was Luke or Silas, one of the two. And Barnabas took John Mark. Because he had that gift of encouragement. And we don't, you don't hear many sermons about Barnabas. You don't hear many, many people talk about Barnabas. But we hear them talk about Paul, don't we? Who would never have made it where he was if it hadn't been for Barnabas going, he's all right, I'll stand with him, I'll go with him. And you know what? John Mark went on to write the Gospel of Mark, to which they reckon Matthew and Luke was potentially Used It was the source document used for help to help them write their books. Imagine if Barnabas had not taken him and going, you know what, he's okay. And if you go to the end of Paul's life, Paul says, send to me, because in prison in Rome, he says, send to me John Mark, because he's useful to me. He's an encouragement to me. You see, too often we belittle what God has given us, the gifts and abilities that are in us, and we go... Nobody ever notices. And maybe like Barnabas, people don't talk much about him. But the gifts that God has put inside you are world-changing. That simple gift of encouragement that was inside Barnabas changed Paul's life and changed John Mark's life and still changes our lives today because of that one man who went, it's okay, let me show you the good in these guys. So I want to challenge you, when you walk out into your week, 
Go out as a member of God's body and go, God, what are the gifts you put inside me? How can I use them? No matter how small they are. When you come in here on a Sunday or any other day that we end up meeting together, go, God, what are the gifts you've got inside me? What can I do to give? How can I encourage somebody? How can I give to them in whatever way you've given me to give to them? And step up. Sometimes it's really public, like Amy stepping up today. But if she hadn't have stepped up, we wouldn't have stepped up into the heavenlies. So I'm thankful she did. Because she's there doing springs, and I could see that in my mind. And for me, I was able just to step up right into what God had. And, and he's, he's speaking to me about the whole debt thing and about that spring, spring just washing away stuff. And I could see myself there. First, I went with a bucket because I wanted to catch everything in that spring. I thought, the bucket's useless. <laughs> So I thought, you know what, I'm going to dig a trench. And I can see this in my mind. I started digging this trench and God was laughing at me. He said, wrong thinking. And I had this vision. I don't know if any of you saw it. On, um, it's been going the rounds, um, but it came through my Facebook feed from Kalgoorlie. They had a flood there a couple of weeks ago. You know, we were, last week we were down at the beach and we sort of prayed that the rain would go around us and it did. <laughs> we found out where it went. <laughs> And they had a flood. Now, for those of you who haven't been to Kalgoorlie, the curbs are about that high. All right? They're, they're big curbs for a reason. Because all the roads have curbs on them like this. Because the soil's clay. So when it rains, it rains a lot usually. And the water just sits on clay because the clay has to get really wet for it to start to sink. So they build the roads with a curb on it so the water will get off the middle of the road and go to the sides. And I remember actually working at the bank. Like to step, it was a serious step. It was about that high, the curb. Now, the photo we, one of the photos I've got is a curb that high, and on top of it is the Paddy Hannon statue. He's the guy that found gold down there. So you're talking about, by the time you get to the bottom of Paddy Hannon, it's about this high on the main street, okay? The main street is four lanes wide because they used to have camel trains going through there. So when I say four lanes plus parking, plus it's, it's a really wide street. It's probably wider than this whole block, all right? The photo is of Paddy Hannon. To the bottom of his statue, there is water right across the whole of the central area. That high. That's how much rain was there. But there's a really cool photo of not far from there's a place called Gribble Creek, which is this big creek that sits dry. It just sits dry except for when it rains like this. And these guys are on like tires and, and like inflatable sort of you know, pool mats floating down this river, this muddy red river, under all these drains and stuff because you can do that because everything, there's no, it doesn't go underground, there's no, it can't go underground. You know, here we put them into, it goes into the soil and goes down the soil. You can't do that there because it just fills up because it's clay. And so the water's going to where to go. And so they're sailing down this thing. And, you know, it's been sort of built as the Australia thing to do. You know, it's what we do in Australia. And it really is. It's, it's how it was. I remember doing it, that sort of stuff as a kid, you know, because the flood that comes through. And they didn't have a care in the world, these guys just sailing on down there. That's how God wants you to be. He wants you to just jump onto what he has and to sail on down there. And, you know, with this spring, I'm thinking about this spring and, and that's what he was showing me it's like. He says, Phil, that's how my spring works. There's more than you can contain, so stop trying to hold it and just jump on your mat and go for the rhyme. 
And that's what God's saying. This is the year to go for the ride. You know, and you can sit there and worry about what's under the water. You know, are there, is there rocks? Are there sticks? Are there, so what? We used to ride on down there, and yeah, there'd be stuff under the water, and you get caught occasionally. But we survived. It's time to enjoy the ride. It's time to just go with what God's doing because his spring will not take you into danger. His spring will take you into blessing because it is blessing, because his blessing with a capital B. Stop looking at the problems and the noise around you. So you'll float on that spring and people will stand on the banks and scream and yell at you how bad it is that you're doing this, how wrong it is, because you're not worried, you're not stressed, you don't have problems, and they will try and project their worry onto you. But you can be that mullet-headed guy, which is what this guy was, riding down the river into all that God has for you. And along the way, he's going to say to you, you know what, I want you to get off and do this. I want you to jump out and do this. And you'll jump out and you'll walk through the water and you'll do what he's asking you to do. And then you can jump back on and float on down to the next thing he has for you. We've got to stop walking in worry and stop walking in fear. And start riding the springs of his blessing. And using what he's already given us. You want more of what God's got? Start using what he's already given you. The river is grace. You don't do it by works. You just go where it goes. I mean, you can't control yourself when you're in that. You go where that water's going. There's nothing you can do to make it change. So go where God's going. Seek him and he'll show you his will. Stop looking at the noise banging around in your backyard and start looking at Jesus and being seated with him in heavenly places and taking authority from there. Ask for him to reveal his gifts that he's given you and ask him to show you where you can use them. And let's walk in the blessing, not in the fear. Hebrews says that we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses. So it says, throw off every weight and sin that so easily entangles and run the race God has for you. I would say to you, ride the race. You can run through the water if you like. It's actually good fun. Let me finish. I was telling, um, I was talking to someone last week about orientation, orienteering and um, there was a time we were in Kalgoorlie. There's a place called Lake Douglas, which is a few k's out of Kalgoorlie. And when it gets filled with water, it gets filled with water. Normally it sits mostly dry and, you know, a little bit of water. But we're out there camping on, um, and doing orienteering with this youth thing. And um, there's a, a lake There's a lake, and then there's sort of this creek, I guess you'd call it, that runs up and feeds it. And the creek's probably almost probably deeper than this room. And normally it's dry. 
and it had been a lot of rain and so it was full and we were actually camped next to the creek and so we had to do this orienteering and we had our compasses and we had this course we had to follow and it was all a big race and so we were in teams, I'm with my team of four and we'd be going, about two hours long we'd gone out on this, so we sort of had no idea where we were, really just relying on the compass and hoping that we got it right, otherwise it was a long walk to try and find your way back. And we got to this point and we, got, we found one point at the same time as another group found this one point and the next point said to go that way and I could just see on the other side of the bushes on that way was the campsite and I went, we're done. And obviously it's a competition, us versus them. So I said to the guys, let's go and so I just bolted and I'm running, running, running and there's this line of bushes and I can see the other guys with me and they're looking at the bushes going, oh, and they started to go around the bushes and I think, forget this. Yeah, the bushes are about so high. I thought, we're going over the top. We're just going to jump over. We're going. And so I'm sprinting, and there was me and another guy next to me, and we came to these bushes, and we leapt over these bushes and discovered the creek was on the other side. <laughs> and so you can't do much for in the air, and so we're in the creek. <laughs> you know, we won because we got through the creek and out the other side. Well, they're all running around. But that's how God wants you to be. You're going to go right belting through. When you just surrender completely to him, he's got a whole lot of surprises. And some of them really aren't what you expect when you jump the bush. But you know what? It gives me a good story to tell and it gives me a fantastic memory. And I won. The compass was useless after that because it wasn't waterproof. But, <laughs> but we won. You know what I mean? And that's what God has for you. Run the race he has for you. Stop looking at all the noise and the stuff around you and run the race. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. He knows where you're going. He knows what's on the other side of the bush. Run the race. Stop getting distracted. Stop looking at what's happening around you and run the race God has for you. And you'll find the blessings are there. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we want to thank you for your presence in this place. We want to thank you the glory of heaven just sweeping through here. Lord, it's a joy to be in your presence, to be seated with you in heavenly places, to be governing and taking authority here, Lord, through prayer, through your word, through worship. Father, I pray for each person here that you release revelation as to the gifts that you've given each one. Lord, as the way that you've wired each person to do your will, that you'll bring a revelation of your will and your purpose. That as we step into our times together, Lord, as we step into whatever the week holds ahead for us, that we'll go with a revelation knowledge of you and your plan and your purpose and your will knowing who we are in you, that we can be an encouragement however you've gifted us and make an impact in the world around us. But Lord, you are glorified through us. You said our battle is not against flesh and blood, Lord, but principalities and powers. So we stand against those principalities and powers now in the name of Jesus because we are seated higher than them in heavenly places. And we take authority over them in Jesus' name. We stand against the spirits of disruption, of division, of strife in Jesus' name. We take on the full armour of God.
And we rebuke those spirits in the name of Jesus that you have no place in our lives. And we choose to walk in love. We choose to walk in faith. We choose to walk in the hope of your calling in our lives. Lord, we want to bless you. We want to honor you in Jesus' name. We declare every debt canceled. God says so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.